Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. You know, autoimmune is a runaway train. We have 50 million people today suffering from autoimmune disease, 100 plus autoimmune diseases. My God, here's another interesting number. 75% of those with autoimmune are women. And we're spending on chronic illness as a nation, $2.3 trillion. And here to tell us a little bit about how we get ourselves out of this hole is Dr. Will Cole. Hi, Dr. Will, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, I'm going to give a little intro to you so our listeners know a little bit more about your amazing background. Dr. Will Cole is a leading functional medicine expert specializing in thyroid issues, autoimmune hormonal dysfunction, digestive disorders, and brain issues. He graduated from Southern California University of Health Sciences, has extensive postdoctorate education and training in functional medicine and clinical nutrition. He consults with people all around the world. So people, if you like what you hear, the great news on today's podcast is that you can actually reach out and connect with Dr. Cole. Um, he does it through his website, drwillcole.com. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes. So you've got the link. He's based in Pittsburgh and um, he lives there as well. So welcome again. Let's get started with talking about how'd you get interested in functional medicine? Well, um, it kind of started, I grew up in the wellness world. My dad was in healthcare and he had people like Dr. Mercola come and speak at his clinic and kind of was around uh, a lot of great minds in the world well before I think it was so mainstream. This was in the 90s, really, and you know, even before that in the 80s. So the 80s and 90s, really, it was like the low-fat, um, kind of just weight loss sort of consciousness. It wasn't really about health and wellness. It was a lot about image, and I think, um, for, to a large degree. And I, but I think there was a subculture that is really um, now pervaded into the mainstream. But the So I started at my youth being interested in wellness as a general sort of world. And then I had knew that I wanted to get into healthcare. So I went to this sort of Mecca of, of integrative and um, alternative healthcare at large. It's uh, Southern California University of Health Sciences in Los Angeles. And um, I heard of a guy called Datis Karazian and Datis Karazian who had gone to my school, was older than I was, was talking about this field of healthcare called functional medicine. And I thought, okay, what is that? And this is 11, 12 years ago. Um, and yeah, I, I, it was the this sort of marrying the best of Western medicine, which is being evidence-based and running labs and getting that baseline and the best of alternative medicine, which is actually getting somebody healthy and not just prescribing medications to match the ICD-10 code, the diagnosis code. So I, it was, I loved it. I thought it was the best of both worlds mm -hmm. and I never have looked back since. And I started implementing functional medicine in my own life and then in my family's life. I have autoimmune conditions on both sides of my family. And, and now most of my patients, about 90% of them are done this way via webcam 
um, interface, which is the brilliant time that we live in. We can get functional medicine care to regular normal people wherever they're at in the world. So I spend most of my weeks consulting and talking, standing at my, my standing desk. Um, so cool. so I'm, I'm sitting down right now. I'm taking it easy. But uh, just yeah, talking to people in random parts of the world that I never would be able to see otherwise. And I just am such a, I'm so honored and, and humbled and blessed to be a part of people's sacred wellness journey. And it's where God brought me to, to today. Wow, that's wonderful. You know, we talk about autoimmune. It's this simple little word and it, it's, it's so toxic and it's, it just changes people's lives for the worst. I know this because I've lived through, um, you know, sort of a year and a half of autoimmune hell. Let's talk a little bit about what is autoimmune for those of our listeners who, who still don't understand all that it encompasses. Yeah, so autoimmune, that word is kind of, it's, it's kind of abstract to many people. They don't really understand what it is. Auto, if you break that word down, auto is self-immune. So it's when the immune system attacks the self. This is what autoimmune means. Um, so to date, and you had mentioned this at the top of the conversation, there's about 100 different autoimmune diseases that we know today and an additional 100 that at least have an autoimmune component. So we're talking about 140 disease processes with the diagnosis code that we understand in science today. But as we understand how more and more diseases operate, we will understand there's going to be an autoimmune component to more and more conditions that we see today. And the numbers are rising, as, as you know, you said this at the top of the conversation, 50 million Americans that have a diagnosis of autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. The problem is you know, there are millions more somewhere on what I call the autoimmune inflammation spectrum. They're not bad enough or severe enough, not enough damage has been done for it to fit our criteria or conventional medicines criteria in the West. Uh, of what we call an autoimmune disease, but they're still suffering and struggling and they, they're, they're not healthy. Uh, they're on this autoimmune inflammation spectrum. So 50 million Americans are in what's called stage three on this autoimmune spectrum. That's the autoimmune disease. But stage one on the other end of that spectrum is silent autoimmunity, meaning if you ran labs, you would see positive antibodies, you'd see some abnormal labs, but they are otherwise feeling fine. They don't really notice any symptoms. That's silent autoimmunity. And then stage two is autoimmune reactivity, meaning they are having symptoms. They don't feel well. They're, they have inflammation, but they don't feel, they don't fit the criteria to be a full-blown stage three autoimmune disease. So I find most of my patients are either stage three or stage two, meaning that stage two are the people that they feel horrible, they see a positive ANA or a positive other, you know, maybe lupus labs or other autoimmune tests, and the doctor says, well, it looks autoimmune, or they throw the word autoimmune around and the patient remembers the doctor saying it, or they say things like, well, it looks like you're going to get lupus, come back basically when you're bad enough for us to right. give you a steroid or a human yeah. or immunosuppressant. This is sort of this reactionary approach to autoimmunity is basically wait till your body is destroyed enough of itself to then put you on a steroid or an immunosuppressant. Um, this is illogical. Is, and this is your message and your mission, and it's mine as well, is what can we do in the here and now, wherever we're at on this inflammation spectrum, to take responsibility for our health, reclaim our health, to mitigate risk factors, and do whatever we can to, to improve our health. And 
whether you're stage three or stage two or, or not even on the spectrum, you just want to optimize your health. This really, this conversation that we're having hopefully is a wake up call to, you cannot just wait till your body's destroyed enough of itself to then do something. Exactly. Let's talk numbers. What do you see in your clinic? What are the top illnesses that you see? Yeah. So uh, sadly, what was once rarity is now commonplace. I mean, uh, it is it is pervasive. It's ubiquitous, to say the least. Um, and predominantly, and you had mentioned this statistic, it's predominantly women. Most of these are uh, X chromosome linked in nature, meaning there tend to be more higher rates of women having autoimmunity, sadly, with a few exceptions. There's a few autoimmune diseases that are more men-centric, but for the most part, women are being impacted by this, and there's a number of different reasons for this that I've written about, but mainly there's a genetic component to it. A third of this auto autoimmune puzzle is genetics, but that uh, about two thirds, the majority of that pie, the autoimmune puzzle is epigenetics, and that's the lifestyle factors that drive and trigger genetic predispositions. So our genetics, our DNA, haven't changed, researchers estimate, in 10,000 years. Uh, so our DNA is untapped for or unchanged for 10,000 years. What's changed, the variable that we have to talk about is the field of epigenetics, the foods that we're not eating or we are eating, our stress levels of in our life or lack of it, our exposure to toxins, viral infections, bacterial infections, gut problems. These are all the epigenetic factors that can wake up that genetic predisposition. Right. So people, these genetic predispositions have been around for 10,000 years. So the reason for the explosion is not our genetics, which again, that remains unchanged. The variable that has changed is the new world that our DNA is living in. This mismatch between our DNA and the world around us, this, 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 um, this disconnect or this, this difference uh, is what's awakening these latent genetic predispositions. So predominantly women is a genetic component. Most of it is lifestyle driven as far as triggering these genetic predispositions. Um, and it's all ages. It's really sadly all ages. My youngest patients are under two years old. I have a few uh, patients that are under two, a lot of preteen uh, girls as well that have autoimmune conditions and then patients in their 20s. It's across the board, sadly. Every, every decade, I'm thinking of a number of patients that have autoimmune conditions at the top of my head. So it's really not one uh, age. Uh, it's really wow. across the board. That is truly heartbreaking. You know, it's so interesting as a mother of two, I, I'm okay watching people my age be sick, but the moment someone talks about sort of a child having an autoimmune, it just it completely breaks my heart because I feel as a parent, it's our job to protect them. And so what is it that we are missing? What, so, so Dr. Will, what is it that we're missing? Why are our children starting to get autoimmune? What is creating this, this explosion as you called it? Yeah, I think it starts with the amount of stressors that kids are put under uh, over a very short period of time. And I would say at large, our world has changed over a very dramatically short period of time. Um, so again, this mismatch between genetics and epigenetics. How is has our world changed? So when you say world has changed, because I'll tell you when I had colon cancer 35 and I had my second illness a few years ago, I didn't think the world had changed. And it wasn't until listening to doctors like yourself that 
I started to realize like, oh my God, what I see as beautiful air is not beautiful air and the water I'm drinking from the tap is not clean water. So for those of our listeners who are still where I was, you know, two and a half years ago, talk a little bit about how the world has changed and why. Yeah. So the different facets of epigenetics or the environmental factors that can trigger these genetic predispositions. It starts with the foods that we eat. So our food supply has changed from the soil that food is grown in. It's depleted of nutrients uh, to how it's raised in the spraying of different crops, the hybridization of crops, the genetic modification of crops, um, as well as just the fact that food is processed and even the food that's grown is then processed after it's grown in this unideal, you know, not ideal situation. Then it's processed after it's grown. And then, so we're kind of devoid of nutrients and our, our body is alive because of brilliant biochemistry. And when it's lacking those biochemical uh, facets that make our body alive and vibrant and thriving, then we have a deficiencies of different nutrients which is pervasive and then uh, we go to our environment at large beyond the food so the air, like you mentioned air quality water quality what's happened in the past years in Flint Michigan it's it's really a problem beyond uh, Flint uh, of water supply and the uh, toxins and the medications and the other contaminants in our water supply and this is again the United States of America. This is not a developing country and this is happening here as far as our water supply, let alone the other countries that are being impacted by water quality. Um, and then it's our chronic stressors of modernity. It's We have amazing advancements in technology, that's how we're talking now, but it also is this endless vortex of stimulation of the brain. And our bodies always, our brains are always on fire in this sort of sympathetic fight or flight. Mm. I'm being chased by a tiger, but there's no tiger here. And that's people are on this rat race of always scrolling through their phones. They're always running to the next thing. We are always trying to keep up with the Joneses. And that's this um, modern phenomenon of chronic stress that really knows no bounds is also a component to this too. Um, and then the amount of medications that people are put on, uh, which all have potential side effects to varying degrees, and th those have side effects as well. So I think it's a confluence of a lot of these different factors, but those are some of the top examples that I think of the top of my head of what is um, awakening these genetic predispositions. Let's start talking about the protocols that you use to help someone, and let's actually start with thyroid. So we're again starting to see some pretty significant explosion in the number of thyroid cases. Um, I have my own personal friends who've gone through this, and of course, you know, you, you're so right. Um, they had issues, wasn't diagnosed, and for years until one day they showed up, they were tested, they were like, "Oh, there we go, we got it. It's your thyroid. We're going to take it out." So she's been having symptoms for years and they again kept just sort of saying, well, there's really nothing wrong with you because they hadn't been testing her, her T levels. And then when they did, it was too late. And now she's not, you know, she does, she doesn't have a thyroid anymore. So what causes thyroid issues? How can someone with thyroid issues look to functional medicine for reversing those issues? Great question. So you mentioned a question I didn't really fully answer is what type of autoimmune conditions that I see and more importantly, what are seen in the world. Um, 
well, the most common autoimmune disease in the world is autoimmune thyroiditis. It's the autoimmune disease that attacks the thyroid or Hashimoto's disease, which was incidentally the first autoimmune condition ever discovered in science. It was named uh, after the guy who discovered it in the turn of the 20th century. It was apparently a thing where people wanted to name diseases after themselves. I don't know if I would want that so much, but- What it was a terrible a idea. <laughs> but forever and ever, it's called Hashimoto's disease, and it's the most common autoimmune disease and the first autoimmune condition ever discovered. Um, so it's when the immune system's attacking thyroid peroxidase antibody and thyroid binding globulin antibody. And these are the, uh, these are the proteins and the enzymes that make the, the thyroid hormone and the immune system's attacking it. And we can measure that on a blood antibody test to see if there's an autoimmune component to one's thyroid condition. Um, so uh, the American Endocrine Society says upwards of 90% of low thyroid function in the West is autoimmune in nature, meaning most people in developing in the Western world, and I would say in the developing world, have these low, have this autoimmune component, if not a full-blown autoimmune disease against the thyroid. Again, it doesn't have to be full-blown Hashimoto's disease or Graves' disease, the other autoimmune thyroid problem, to, to have an autoimmune component to it. So we have to take into account, it's a lot of people, really. Um, and the problem here, you know, the analogy that I use for this example is, you know, if I hit somebody in the head with a hammer, not going to really do that. But if I if I did, just light enough to hurt, it's, they're going to get a headache, right? And they right. could... They could take Tylenol for the headache. Or they could tell me to stop freaking hitting them in the head with a hammer. Is that the problem is not the thyroid. The thyroid is just victim of the immune system proverbially hitting itself on the head with a hammer. Um, that you can make your TSH look great. You can make your thyroid hormones look great by giving yourself a Synthroid or Levothyroxin or another thyroid replacement hormone. But under the root cause is not a synthroid deficiency. Just like really most chronic diseases is not a medication deficiency. Exactly. We have to look at why the immune system thinks that the thyroid is a virus or bacteria. Why is it attacking it? Why is this autoimmune uh, condition flared up? Um, so people with Hashimoto's can be in hyperstate and hypostate. So they have a bit of both worlds when it comes to uh, how the thyroid can operate because if thyroid storm means the immune system systems attacking the thyroid they can have hyperthyroid symptoms they can have heart palpitations they can feel anxious and sweaty and hot flashes and anxiety and then they can crash and go they can go get cold they can um, lose their hair they can have that constipation um, and depressed from a psychiatric standpoint, and this happens, and this is in the medical literature as well, that they can be misdiagnosed or diagnosed as having bipolar, manic depression, or some psychiatric anxiety, depression issues, because that's how it manifests. But really, there's an autoimmune component that is attacking their thyroid and possibly even neurological tissue, brain tissue, that is making them anxious and making them depressed. Um, and then they're given psychiatric medications for these symptoms, again, not dealing with the root cause. Uh, which is uh, for these people, autoimmunity. Um, so to answer your question, for these Hashimoto's cases or autoimmune thyroid cases, you have to deal with the autoimmunity. Um, yes, there, there's probably gonna be some necessity when it comes to getting your thyroid hormones in place and taking the appropriate thyroid replacement hormone dosage, but that's not dealing with the root cause. So yes, you have to get your thyroid hormones in check, but the upstream core root 
facet here is this autoimmunity that's driving this inflammation. And sadly, people with one autoimmune condition is at an increased risk for other autoimmune conditions or what's known as poly autoimmunity. And most of my patients have you know, three or four number of different autoimmune conditions that may have began with the thyroid, but it's kind of grown beyond that. Yeah, I had 28 symptoms at last count. <laughs> the good news is, you know, it never became 30. It started to reverse itself and it went back down to zero. So I, I can again relate to the fact that it may start as one, but it quickly uh, snowballs into additional. What do you see along with thyroid? What do you see as some of the related autoimmune conditions that uh, come out? I, I, just to name a few other autoimmune conditions, then I want to talk about just the general feeling. I think that other, beyond Hashimoto's disease, lupus is very common, Sjogren's is very common, uh, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's, celiac disease, MS, Parkinson's, those are other autoimmune conditions that I see a lot. So, but the umbrella of just like a day-to-day -day person, like think symptoms they would um, see that I see are quite, quite common are the sort of inflammatory brain component here and the gut brain connection here. But so anxiety, depression, fatigue, and brain fog, those like four things, I see them so often in patients and a lot of them are on this autoimmune spectrum. Almost all of them are at least on this inflammation spectrum. If they're not full-blown autoimmune trigger, they're at least having this wild inflammatory response in their body. But so many people settle for it, or they, they, it's a silent problem because it's, it's brain-based, it's mental health, so they you know, think they're just being weak or they're just stressed or they're just going and they, they have all these excuses because it's relegated. And what they have to realize is that there is a physiological component, if not entirely physiological component, to what's driving their mental health. And you have to see mental health as physical health. It's one and the same. Um, and the impact that inflammation and if there's an autoimmune component on the brain, we have to start realizing this, start getting answers as to why people are going through this because the rates of anxiety, depression, fatigue, brain fog are pervasive. And we have to start giving people solutions for this. And what I find many times is that you, when we measure this, we can measure antibodies against neurological tissue. And this whole field of research, it's called the cytokine model of cognitive function, basically how inflammation impacts how our brain works. And all those brain problems that I mentioned are linked in the medical literature to this pro-inflammatory uh, cytokine activity, this pro-inflammatory activity in the brain. Um, and many people uh, with anxiety, depression, brain fog, fatigue, that have done everything their doctors told them to do, they're taking all the medications and they're still feeling lousy, then many times can be an autoimmune component to it. And especially if there's a family health history of autoimmunity, and then obviously the connection with the digestive system, which the gut is our second brain, 95% of the serotonin in our bodies is made in the gut and stored in the gut. So dealing also with the digestive digestion issues uh, centrally, but also the impact that the gut has on the brain. I'm so glad to hear you say it in sort of black and white that anxiety, depression, brain fog, these are not brain issues. These are body issues. These are literally linked physically to the state of your health, mm -hmm. not the state of your emotion. Uh, mm -hmm. when, when 
you know, when you go to a doctor and you say you're depressed, they give you an antidepressant. And I've heard this line over and over again, and I know it's becoming a cliche, but I'm going to say it anyway. You know, your body's not short of depressants, right? So um, you, you, you don't need more antidepressants. That's not where the issue is. The issue is that there's something going on in your body that's creating a toxic environment in your brain that's creating the, this emotional cascade. Uh, is, is how I see it. And I'm so glad to hear you sort of reconfirm that. What's the protocol that you put people through in functional medicine? Because it sounds like the name of the disease doesn't matter. You really have to heal your body as a whole. Yeah, I think that it starts, a functional medicine approach to these problems starts with diagnostics. It starts with labs because you could have a hundred different people with the same ICD-10 code of a autoimmune condition or really any problem and what works for one person can flare the next person up so i try not to have a bias as you know this is the path that everybody with you know lupus is going to heal their life because i'll be proven wrong <laughs> with the, with the <laughs> patients so you cannot stay uh you know dogmatic to this is the path obviously there's some commonalities uh, don't eat McDonald's food. Don't eat junk food. <laughs> but beyond that, there's so much biological variability, bioindividuality that is at play here because we are not any one of us. Someone is not there, just their health condition. They're a lot more complex than that. So it starts with labs to find out what's the root cause. And we run the labs that are the most relevant to the individual. So I don't want to be excessive with labs. I want to be comprehensive with labs. And so looking at things like microbiome or gut problems, which is 75% of the immune system. So when you're dealing with autoimmune issues, you want to look at where the predominance of the immune system resides, which is in the gastrointestinal system and the microbiome. Uh, and then also looking at toxicity and then looking at hormonal imbalances, which can impact the immune system. And then looking at inflammation and looking at hormones and looking at nutrients and looking at all these different components and finding out what's underneath the hood, so to speak. The check engine light to me is like the symptoms that they're going through. I don't want to just cover up the check engine light and say, see you later, see you in six months, right. um, another checkup. I want to say, okay, what's actually underneath the hood here? Uh, and that's all these things that I mentioned that are giving rise to the symptoms and giving rise to the diagnosis codes. So that's really, we're kind of like clinical mechanics in that way, body mechanics to functional medicine doctors to say, okay, what's driving uh, the, the check engine light here? What's causing that? And then from there, you can use food as medicine, use botanical herbal medicines as medicine, use lifestyle stress management and mindfulness techniques and physical activity and sleep improvements and medications when needed to really be customized to the individual. And that's really the heart of functional medicine. Let's talk about testing because one of the hardest things is when you go to conventional medicine, their tests are different from functional medicine testing. So where can someone get themselves tested and what are these specific tests that you're recommending for example do you do the genova test for the gut i don't uh, genova is fantastic I, I don't do that one specifically we typically do doctor's data test which is a two-day or three-day stool test um in our lab in chicago um but it's you know we really use any lab that's out there that's the best for that patient so i'm not hung, hanging my head on one specific lab i just go to I really look at all the labs that are out there in functional medicine and in mainstream medicine and say, okay, based on, and that's why it starts with health history. 
is that I want to spend a long time, and health history can tell you so much, just sub-diagnostically, even beyond before the labs, and just say, okay, what's even needed for this person, and what can we gain just from taking a proper health history, a comprehensive health history, and then from there, yeah, let's pinpoint the most relevant labs and be as targeted and specific to the individual as we can, um, and go from there. Um, but I mean, to answer your question, a functional medicine doctor can run labs. Uh, we see patients around the world, like you had mentioned. Um, so I spend most of my week consulting people, and that's what I what I do. I love it. I love being a part of people's health journey. I take that very seriously, and kind of thoroughly investigating these cases for people. Um, yeah. So, but in general, if other functional medicine doctors would be able to do that as well, what would be the biggest recommendation that you can make for someone who's trying to heal from an autoimmune condition, what do they yeah. need to start doing immediately? Yeah, so I would say it probably if you want to look at the genesis of I think a lot of different, this is maybe going to seem kind of fluffy, but I don't mean it to be fluffy at all. I mean it to be we have to have a good relationship with our body and our health because all the stuff that I'm saying I don't want to put fear into somebody for the sake of it I want to give them a sound mind in context because you have to know what you're up against to do something about it and that's what this health information that we're talking about is meant to be that's what I'm my purpose of saying it is and it's also I think the purpose of labs and giving people the underlying root facets of why they're going through their health problems is to give them answers to do something about it. It's not to put fear into them or scare them or use scare tactics uh, in their health. That's not good for their health. Stress is not good for your health. So what I mean is the first step, I think, for anybody dealing with any health problem, but specifically we're talking about autoimmunity, it's definitely relevant here, is that you cannot heal a body you hate. And I think a lot of people have a lot of shame around their body and around their health and around food. Uh, I think that should be not even have a place in wellness at large. And I think out of realizing someone's own self-worth will flow healthy actions. And I know that seems not so action step, but I think that's important because in our world of wellness, in our world of functional medicine, an unintentional consequence of being so alertly aware of our health can come eating disorders, it can come orthorexia, people becoming so obsessive and stressed and anxious about their food because they don't know what's working for them, they're suffering, they're dealing with real health problems, and there's no rhyme or reason, and they're just, they're afraid of eating, and they're afraid, and the wellness is actually a source of stress for them. So I just want to maybe start, I think that is like a core first step for anybody going through a health problem, is really doing all this stuff that we're talking about at a place of self-love and really self-care as a whole as a form of self-respect and having that be the ethos of which you make uh, healthy decisions in your life. So well said. I think health truly first begins with a commitment to health and a decision to recognize where you may have strayed from being true to yourself from loving yourself, from caring for yourself. Uh, just so beautifully put, Dr. Well, thank you so much. For the rest of you, start looking in the mirror every morning and saying, I love you. That was something that, that Louise Hay said, that so many problems will disappear if you just can look every morning in the mirror when you brush your teeth and say, I love you, I care for you, you are going to be healthy. 
it changes what you do during the day. It changes how you eat. It changes what you watch, how you talk to yourself. So simple tips. Dr. Wolf, thank you so much for sharing such great insights. And for the rest of you, if you enjoyed this, share the podcast, share some love. See you on the next podcast. Stay smiling. That's a wrap. Share your love with a five-star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps Facebook and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.